0: hopefully last week you were with us. Evan Nave had preached an amazing sermon uh, starting us off out of this series on Jonah. And uh, what he did was he told us how we could hand over the things that are holding us back from walking with God. You know, Jonah had encountered this fierce storm that we learned about last week because he was running from God, which is a, a way to say that anytime that you think you can guide your own life rather than allowing God to guide it for you, you should expect pushback. You should expect roadblocks. You should expect things to head your way that you didn't plan for in life because God is trying to get your attention. You see, God is in passionate pursuit of us, chasing us down, wanting you to have a second chance at life so that you can hold on to the promises of Christ, so that you can be forgiven of your sins so that you can walk away today free and secure in your faith, God has something greater in store for you than whatever you can plan for yourself, and that 's why he 's chasing you down years ago, when I was in Southern California, I grew up in that area, we had a family friend that had access to tickets to a lot of the venues in l a so if you wanted to go see a performance, a concert, if you want to see a sports team, he had the tickets. And he would just get so wore out by trying to go to all these different events that he would place those tickets in our mailbox quite often. These tickets were like premier tickets. I mean, courtside seats or a personal suite of some kind. And they would be in our mailbox and they would wear us out to the point where we couldn't make it to all the games. And we decided, you know what, let's just start handing these things out and blessing some people here. It's made us happy. Let's make some other people happy with it. And you would not believe the The way that people look at you when you try to hand them something for free, they just won't receive it. They're skeptical. They question your motives. You know, what does this guy want in return? Does he want some money? Does he want our friendship? What does he want in return here? Why is this guy giving me access to a personal suite? How does he have access to it? This is some kind of practical joke that this kid's playing on me here. And I remember being outside of the venues from time to time, just trying to hand out concert tickets or Lakers tickets. I mean, who wanted to go see the Lakers back in the early 90s? Hardly anybody. No, that's not true. That was a good team, by the way. Good team. And we'd pass those tickets out, and we had some courtside seats that were right across the way from the team, and they were right next to the actress Sally Fields. And so I knew these were going to be premier seats, and so I went down to the venue, tried to hand them out, but no one no one believed me that these seats are really the seats that I was proclaiming to have. They thought I wanted something in return. Family came by, mom and dad with some kids, and I said, this would be perfect for you. You guys need to take these seats. It'll be a lasting memory. Well, they just kind of looked at me and blew me off, and so I chased them down towards the ticket booth and just kept saying, just go ahead and take them. I know they sound too good to be true, but, but you'll walk through the turnstile, and believe me, you'll be happy that you had these seats. It would just be one of these moments in life that you'll talk about for maybe the rest of your life. These are that good. And he just blew me off. And then he got to the ticket booth and he started to take out his wallet and he's about ready to pay for some expensive seats that gave him the perspective from like Mount Everest, you know? And I think it dawned on him, let's give the kid a chance. And so he took the tickets and they kind of bashfully went through the turnstile, kind of uneasy to see if these were real or not. And everyone checked out okay. And they they made their way through, gave me this goofy grin and this thumbs up. And I thought, yep, you're going to have a great experience. And Please do not make Sally Fields unhappy, okay? Because I've got to sit by her the next couple of times. You know, I remember thinking about that. There's something better in store for you. Why won't you just take it? I'm giving you this opportunity. Why don't you want it? And I think that's what Jonah chapter two teaches us. Jonah, I had to chase you down and follow you through all of your dysfunction because I've got something better for you. And you've been running from me because you thought I was going to be in pain and punishment. But I'm going to bring you grace. I'm going to show you something completely different. And friends, God's in passionate pursuit of you like that. You might think that he's going to bring you punishment. And God says, I don't want to bring you punishment. I want to bring you a second chance. You know, I heard a preacher describe Jonah's running from God this way. He said that when God called Jonah to preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, it was as if God sent him to preach in Detroit, Michigan, and instead, Jonah ran to Destin, Florida. And that's probably right. He didn't want what God had in store for him because he didn't see that that was good for him. Jonah wanted what Jonah wanted. Jonah wanted to be in charge of his own life. And when God said go, Jonah stubbornly said, no, it's not happening. And when he said no and he ran from God, he encountered all sorts of storms that were caused by his disobedience. And you know what's worse about those storms that we cause when we run from God? Not only we, the ones affected by them, but we put our friends and our family in jeopardy of that dysfunction as well. You see, when Jonah ran from God, the storm not just encapsulated him and the boat he was on, but encapsulated the sailors that were fending for their lives and were frightened about what they had to endure because of Jonah's disobedience. And it wasn't until Jonah finally took responsibility for his actions and fessed up that he was causing the storm, that he was causing the problems in people's life, did things go calm. So Jonah tells the sailors, because they were looking to why the seas were so raging, they weren't expecting a storm. He told them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And this is refreshing. I know that this is my fault. Parents, isn't that refreshing to hear from a child when they squarely take the blame for their own disobedience or their own actions that were wrong? This is my fault. And so Jonah, God's kid, expresses, this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Like, I love how he doesn't blame his dysfunction on anybody else. He just says, this lands right here on me, and if you want the storm to go away, throw me into the sea. This is... This is my fault. And he had this moment in life where he took ownership of the chaos. And whether you want to believe this or not, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to take ownership for the dysfunction you've caused. Whether it's been deliberate dysfunction, or maybe it's been an unwilling dysfunction, but it's been caused at the result of something that you stirred up, we're all going to have to be accountable for it, and we're going to have to own it. And you know what? There's, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to take ownership of your actions. And maybe that can be here in this earth where we can say, God, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against others. And man, I've, I feel terrible about it and I need your forgiveness. You know, God will spare you from the misery of hell that could last for all of eternity. But maybe some of you just aren't getting it and you're going to continue to run from God and you're going to continue to fear God in such a way that he would never give you Grace. Let me tell you, there's not going to be a second chance past this life. And you're going to continue to run away from him right now. And you know what? You're not going to fess up that it's your fault, that the dysfunction has been a result of your decisions. But one day you're going to have to take ownership for your actions. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we all must stand before Christ and be judged. It doesn't matter who you are, it could be Rick Warren, could be Billy Graham be the Pope. We're all going to stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. We're all going to have to take ownership of the dysfunction of the good and of the bad that we've caused. Now back to Jonah, getting into our story, because once he said, pick me up and throw me in the sea, there's some different thoughts about what happened to him as he was in the water. Some believe that immediately when he hit the water, the sea grew calm and the sailors rejoiced and thanked God. And Jonah just kind of treaded water, ready for his jaws moment. You know, the dorsal fin pops out of the ocean and just kind of encircles him. And then he gets swallowed up whole and is three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. Alive, covered in seaweed and fish guts and praying out to God saying, I would rather die than be here. And then finally, that big fish belches him out on the shoreline of Nineveh. There's the second thought that when Jonah was thrown into that raging sea, that the waters overtook him and drowned him and killed him. And he made his way to the depths of that ocean. His body just floated and became fish food. And he was swallowed up whole. But as he speaks this prayer or he calls out to God that he's not in the belly of the great fish, that he's actually in a place that's in the belly of the earth what the Jews called Sheol, what we've called Hades, what we've come to know as hell itself. Which is incredible if you think that way because that means that God traveled all the way to hell to give Jonah a second chance at life. And think about the distance he's going to pursue you so that you can have a second chance at life, that he can offer you some grace and not punishment. But you're saying, what does it matter? What does it matter if he lived or what has he died? Jonah's just a big fish tale, it's a big fish story, didn't really happen. I mean, come on, Matt, you can't honestly believe that that a giant fish swallowed up a man. I mean, what kind of fish can actually do that, and who can survive for three days and three nights in, in a fish like that? Well, you know, Jesus believed in Jonah, literally. He thought the story was real. As a matter of fact, he went so far to compare his own life situation with Jonah's situation He said in Matthew 12, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know when Jesus talked about his death, his burial and resurrection, he never messed around. He didn't give room for people to speculate whether he was going to be alive or dead or just kind of swooned on the cross. And I think, and while I don't want to place my fellowship with one another against it, I think that Jesus was teaching that Jonah had died in that fish, and that God had to chase him all the way down to the very pits of hell to say, Jonah, maybe now I'll give you a second chance, and you'll get it right. Okay, that's just my opinion, but one thing I know is this. For us to understand this story of Jonah and to believe it like Jesus did, we've got to first say that we believe Genesis 1-1. Do you know what it says there? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and God created the earth. And friends, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you will have no problem believing all the other verses that follow after that very first sentence in Scripture. You'll have no problem that the one who created that giant fish has the power to control that giant fish to swallow a man whole. You'll have no problem believing that the one who created life can also swallow a man whole and keep him alive in that fish, or if he died, can resurrect him again. You'll have no problem believing that the one who created you will go to the extreme distance of allowing you to know that he loves you, and you are his kid. You see, if we can believe in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, we're going to have no problem believing this fish story. That fish story starts in Jonah chapter 2 today. It's at page 754 in the Bible in your chair rack, and It's a story about God chasing us down and getting caught by God, and what do we do once we're caught? Some of you are in this room today, and you've been caught by God. You're here now, you're caught up in it, and you're not sure what to do next. Your life has taken on now a a spiritual awareness that you've never felt before. You, you now feel drawn to the Lord. You feel guilty about some things or convicted by some things. You're starting to see the errors of your way. You're, you're starting to see how your sin has hurt God. You're starting to see how your sin has hurt yourself and other people. And you're having this fresh new awareness of spiritual activity in your life like you've never had before. Some of you in this room, you're considering Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You never would have thought that in January. for your, You You would have never thought you'd be in a church But here you are, and you've got a spiritual awareness. God has caught up with you. He has trapped you inside the belly of a great fish. This this place today might be the belly for you. And you're wondering, what do I do now that I've been trapped by God? God has passionately pursued me and caught me. Let's do what Jonah does. Look how he starts off when he's trapped. Jonah 2, starting in verse 2. In my distress... I called to the Lord. What did he do? I called to the Lord. Jonah called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, And, and your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. All right, it doesn't take much, right, to see that Jonah is completely overwhelmed by his situation there, and he's caught up in what's going on, and And I think for most of us, our first reaction would be anger, upset, because that's what naturally happens when God presses into our life, when he starts teaching us conviction and saying, you know what, you always thought that was okay, but now I'm teaching you, that's not right. And we press back against God, and some of you are in this room, you're pressing back against God, you're getting angry with God, and let me tell you, you have really two ways to see who God is. Some of you say, God is out to get me, or God is for me. And some of you in this room, you're thinking, if I have a come to Jesus kind of moment, then that's God luring me in. Because I've done some things in life that I'm not proud of, and I'm sure God's not proud of, and I deserve punishment for that. And so you might see God as a God of punishment. But you know what Jonah should do? It should reassure us that God's not here to punish you. God is actually here to give you a second chance and as long as you're alive, God says, I extend my grace to you. And so Jonah, in the belly of that fish, he had the decision to do two things when he was caught with God. He could talk to God or he could walk away from God. He could get angry or he could talk and he could turn. And you know what I find out is people get angry with God because they feel the guilt of what they've done. And they don't feel like they should be, they should be let off the hook because of it. Like any person who's been guilty of breaking the law knows, if you do the crime, you do the time. Guilt is associated with an emotion that Satan wants to bring up within us. Satan wants you to feel guilty because what guilt does was it imprisoned us to believe that we can't change, that we can't be forgiven, that our situation will always be this way because we deserve this. This is the punishment for our dysfunction. This is our punishment. For the wrongs that we've done. That's guilt. You can't change. You can't be forgiven. But you know what God comes in and does? God doesn't make you feel guilty. God convicts you. And conviction is much different. Conviction comes in and says, you have done wrong. You've grieved God. You've hurt others. You've hurt yourself. But you can be forgiven. And even some of those wrongs can be made right. Where guilt has no hope. Conviction has all the hope. And some of you in here today, you need to start making the distinction uh, in your life if you're guilty or convicted. Guilt, no hope. Conviction, there is hope. Rights, wrongs can be made right. Sins can be forgiven. And in that fish, Jonah was convicted. Not guilty, convicted. Convicted to turn to God. How do I know that? Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 6 as he describes it. So G- Jonah talks with God, and he turns back to God. What does he say? Well, he says, the roots of the mountains I-, I sank down to, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. He's talking about his location. I am deep down below here. But then he starts talking about his life. And he says, my life is in the pits. This, this fish is just a metaphor for my life. It's low. It's no good. It's rotten. It stinks. And what he say in verse 6 at the very end? But you, Lord my God, have brought my life up from the, the pit. Do you see the hope there of conviction? God, I don't have to stay this way. You're convicting me that what I've done was wrong. I've ran away from you. And you've chased me down here. And I want to get in touch with you. And so Jonah talks to God, confesses his sin, and he turns to God. The Bible tells us what that behavior is in one word. That word is repentance. You've heard that word before. A biblical word, when you come to Christ, you repent of your sins. It's a military term that says, I was walking this way, but then heard the call of my master and turned this way back towards the one that has called to me. And I've done an about face. I was walking my way, running from the Lord. Now I've turned and I'm heading towards God and now I'm walking with the Lord. Turn and talk. Repentance. Confession. Confession. And you know, when you begin to understand God's heart in a new way, that his heart for you is filled with love and forgiveness, you're going to start seeing God in a different way. You're going to start seeing him as a father that's on your side rather than a God that just wants to punish you. Friends, if God has caught up with you today, you talk to him and you turn to him. Second thing we find Jonah doing and what he teaches us is to remember the Lord. Look back at Jonah 2, look at verse 7 with me. When my life was ebbing away, he says, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your hope, to your holy temple. This is not just a remembrance like, I remember how good I had it, or I remember my past. This is a remembering that looks back to the past and says, God, you were good. And I need to start anticipating that you're going to be even greater in the future. Your track record has shown me that you have been faithful and that you will continue to be faithful even when I'm not faithful. You know, I think Jonah's looking back and I think he's acknowledging, God, you've done great things in my life. And then I decided to run and I forgot about the great things you've done. But now I'm recognizing, I've come to my senses, God, you do great things and you're gonna do greater things in me. You know, in the next few weeks, my family and I are going to be apart from you for the summer. Uh, a year and a half ago, the elders and I planned this time of renewal that was designed so that I would not become complacent or worn out in ministry. I, I've been with you for 18 years, and, and they want to see me here another 18 years, and, and I just happen to want to see myself there, here right here for 18 years. And, and just so you know, I'm not complacent, and I'm not worn out. What it was is a, a preactive step that that was laid out for us to say, let's, let's find our ministry and our ministers in our best health so that this church can continue to grow so that I, one of the leaders here, won't become the downfall because of maybe uh, burnout. And so they're sending me away and uh, giving me an opportunity to, to look back at God's faithfulness. Over the 18 years, God's done some pretty amazing things in the ministry that I've had with you here at Bethany. And I anticipate that as I get to go on this renewal with my family, that I get to look back and say, God, you are so good. And get rejuvenated and excited about the greater things that God has in store for us. Look, God is not done with Bethany Christian Church. There is still so much more greater things that he has yet to do for us. And this player substitution that we're about ready to go through in about three weeks, that just gives me a a chance to rest my legs from the long run on the court that I've had. And it's an amazing opportunity to develop some of the superstars that exist on our team. And uh, I don't want you to see this as the end of the game. I don't want you to see this as a halftime or a timeout. The play continues. The ball is still in play. The players are still running with The ball. And the purpose, the goal is still the same, to raise up Christ so that all men will come to Christ and find salvation in Jesus Christ. And as I get a chance to look back and remember at God's faithfulness, I know that I'll be impatient. I know I'll be thirsty to get back in the game, to get back here with the anticipation, the hope of remembrance that God has always been good, God will be good, and he's going to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask Or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. Just a few moments ago, we took communion together. The Lord's Supper. You know what it's like to look back and to have an anticipation of a hopeful future? About what remembering does? You look back and you remembered the grisly death of our Savior and His resurrection. And hopefully that gave you reassurance that Christ is serious about forgiving your sins. And in that, you're saying, I'm going to have mess-ups in the future. And if God was willing to go that far for my sins of the past, he's going to continue to go further for the mess-ups of my future. And you can look back and you can say, God, you've been faithful. Faithful in forgiveness. uh, Faithful with the little things. Faithful with the big things. And so, God, why should I doubt that as I turn to you, why should I doubt that you would do anything less Then receive me into your arms. But I know not everybody in this room has that feeling. Some of you have an anxiety that hangs over your head. Like if I come back to God, I have a head knowledge that he's gracious, but I have a feeling that I'm going to get zapped. He's just going to thump me over the head for the things I've done and the way I've ran from him. You see, when you remember God's faithfulness and his love towards you, you can expect and count on his character. It doesn't change. And it doesn't matter if your sin has been willful and planned out or if it's been mistakes and unthoughtfulness of your character. God says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and he's just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we talk and we turn. And remember that God is our father. And we are his kids. And he's going to welcome us home into his loving arms. You don't believe me? Just look back at a guy by the name of David. He was the king of Israel. God titled him a man after my own heart. He was a man after God's own heart, but yet he had one of the most notorious sins in all of history. You know what he did? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, but what was worse, to try to cover up his sin, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed, murdered. Now he thought he got away with it, and everything in his life he thought would smooth out because he thought it was private. But a preacher by the name of Nathaniel came to him and said, David, I know exactly what you've done, and so does God. And David found out that what he thought was done in secret has become very, very public. And David did what Jonah did and what God hopes that you'll do today. He came clean. He confessed to God his sins. He talked and he turned. And instead of running from God, he started walking with God. And here's what David said as he pours out his guts about coming clean before God in Psalm 51. Generous in love, God give grace, huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. And then he goes on to say later on in the scripture, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. You you want to know why a guy that was filled with corruption and sin and adultery and murder was called a man after God's own heart? Because of things like that. He talked and he turned. And God says, I want you to repent and never head back that direction. And when David said those words about, I want to come clean and I want to be clean and I want to live clean, They just weren't words of the mouth. They were an expression of the heart that were true and real for him. And he wanted to put himself in a position where he was not running from God, but walking with God. And so as we are caught by the Lord, let's remember his faithfulness. Let's call to him to turn and to talk. And lastly, let's worship him. You're saying, well, what a strange response. Worshiping God when we're trapped in the belly of the fish when we're trapped by God and encountering him and he's pushing into our lives look at Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 Jonah says those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you notice that his worship was not only praise of the mouth there was an offering that was there there was some kind of sacrifice that He was giving up to the Lord What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I think there's a couple reasons why Jonah made a commitment to worship God. One was, he was so overjoyed that God would welcome him back and find him in his chaos and give him a second chance that he had no other expression but to say thank you. And that's what worship is, is in part, isn't it? Uh, Thank you, God, for accepting me. And he celebrated Just like Luke 15 when the prodigal returns home and that child has abandoned his father and wasted his father's money and says, I deserve punishment, but when he returns home he finds grace. He finds his dad waiting on him with welcoming, loving arms and embraces him and says, I'll have nothing of it. You won't be a servant. You are my son. And a great celebration happens. You know, reunion typically invites celebration you're at the very beginnings of our service you may have heard a, a loud gasp from an excited mother Todd and Lori Gress got to see their daughter Caitlin who had moved to the west coast but came here to this service to excite them because when there is reunion there is celebration and a lot of crying right Lori and I think when there's worship happening there's a celebration that takes place God thanks for welcoming me back I mean that's should be at the core of our worship But secondarily, did you hear Jonah talk about the idol in his life? He talked about not a graven image or something that he'd put on the shelf and worship and bow down to. That idol was actually himself. He's saying, God, I am sorry for making my life more important than the life that you had planned for me. God, I'm sorry for saying no when you said go. God, I'm sorry for wanting what I wanted when I wanted it and not paying any attention To you, who is my creator, who is my father. And Jonah says, I was the idol. My pursuits in life were my own idol. And I should have paid attention to you. And what worship does is it takes the focus off of us and puts the focus onto God. And God becomes the center of our attention. God becomes the center of our life. And when we get God as the center of our life, friends, you know what happens? That guilt, which is primarily a selfish emotion, begins to dissipate because we recognize that God is a God who loves us, who receives us, who welcomes us. And even though Satan might begin to stir up on our behalf, this idea that you're not forgiven, you should feel guilty. There is pain and punishment that you should have for your dysfunction. God says, no, 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 come to me and worship. And I'll remind you every single time, every time you worship, that you are my child, that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that my arms have stretched wide open, that my son has paid the price for your sins. He's taken on your sin. You have nothing to worry about in my presence. You know, David found that hard to believe though. And I'm sure because David, a man after God's own heart, found it hard to believe. You find it hard to believe. You find that hard to believe and you're still rotten with guilt. You're rotting away with guilt. You've come to Christ, you've been forgiven, but you still feel guilty, you still feel like you should be punished, like you haven't paid back, been paid back for the, the things you've done that were wrong. David felt that way. He just couldn't accept God's forgiveness, and so he kept on praying that same prayer, God forgive me for the act of adultery, God forgive me for murdering that man, but he just couldn't find it in his own heart to forgive himself, and he was ate up with guilt. You know, it wasn't until Psalm chapter 32, verse 5, where he just said, enough, enough, I just, I'm gonna lay bare my heart to the Lord and I'm gonna not hold anything back. And he said, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. What he really is getting at is, I just expressed everything on my heart to the Lord. I didn't hold anything back. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and check this out, let's read this last part out loud together. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Are you catching that? He forgave the guilt of your sin. Because God doesn't want you feeling guilty. He wants you to feel convicted. Guilt says, I can't change. My situation can't be reconciled. Wrongs cannot be right. And God saying, no, 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 no. you got that all wrong. Remember who I am. And I've swallowed you up. And I've brought you to this place. So that you'll just have a second chance. So you recognize you can get this right. Things can be right from here on out. Let's just start walking together. Stop running from me. You know, I hope that you see today that God's in passionate pursuit of you. And then if you're here today and you've been caught, that you just surrender and you say, God, it's yours. The guilt is yours. My sins are yours. My life is yours. And you just surrender and give your life over to Jesus today. You know, uh, one of the fears I have is that you'll walk out of here and you just say, man, God's a powerful God. I mean, look what he's done. He created a storm and he provided this fish. He swallowed a man whole. He kept him alive or, or killed him or he resurrected him from the dead and spit him out on Nineveh's shores. It's pretty powerful stuff, but what I want you to see is God and only God powerful, he's personal. He did that for one guy. He tracked down one guy. And I know he's tracking you down too. He's putting stumbling blocks in your way that keep you from living a life that you think is the best for you. And he's saying, nope, I'm not gonna let that work out the way you want it to work out. I want you to remember me. I want you to come walk with me instead for running for yourself. You know, one verse we left out in chapter two reads this way: verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on a dry land you imagine this guy spilling out on the shores of Vanneva? Everybody's looking at him, covered in seaweed, bile, smelling like decomposed fish. His skin must have been permeated with the smell of dead fish for weeks. If you wanted to know where Jonah was in the crowd, all you had to do was just smell your way to the guy. You know what I find awesome? This guy had gone through hell. He had gone through hell. And you know what he found? He found that the God of heaven was there chasing him down. Even in the midst of his hell And some of you right now you're saying Whatever situation you're saying This is hell, this is misery This is, this is terrible The God of heaven is chasing you down To give you a second chance To spare your life and you know why Jonah got a second chance? Because he talked And he turned Lord I confess my sins And I don't want to walk this way anymore I want to walk with you And then he remembered, God has been a God of grace. And I know grace is what he'll give to me. And then he worshiped. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing grace. You see, there's going to be a day where grace is going to dissipate. God's not going to chase you for the remainder of your soul's existence. Either Christ will come back and this world will be over or you'll breathe your last breath here on earth and the chase of God is done and just judgment awaits all. Today, it's been my prayer. If you're recognizing that God has passionately pursued you and you're caught up in the Lord and all these things are overcoming to you, you're trapped in the belly of the fish That you'll turn, talk, and that you'll run to God instead of running your own path. That you'll call on the name of the Lord in the belly of this sanctuary and you'll discover the forgiveness and the grace that Jonah found in the belly of that great fish. Let's stand together. Let's praise our God.